Elsewhere from the business record, Oak Street Health has announced its plans to expand into four states. The centers will be opened in Little Rock, Arkansas, Des Moines, Davenport, Iowa, Kansas City, Kansas, and Richmond, Virginia starting this summer. This expansion marks the 25th state in which Chicago-based Oak Street Health will provide care for older adults. Mike Percoles, the CEO of Oak Street Health, highlighted the organization's mission to improve health care for older adults nationwide. The expansion into these states will enable Oak Street Health to serve new patients, create jobs, and address health equity gaps in these communities. Oak Street Health is known for its personalized, preventive primary care model designed specifically for older adults. The comprehensive approach includes behavioral health care, support for social determinants of health, and a combination of in-center, in-home, and telehealth appointments, as well as 24-7 patient support line. By implementing this model, the company has significantly reduced patient hospital admissions compared with Medicare benchmarks and achieved notable reductions in 30-day readmission rates and emergency department visits. For more information about Oak Street Health, you can contact their website. Elsewhere in the business record, local chapter of Human Resources Society receives an award. The Central Iowa SHRM has been honored with the Excel Platinum Award by SHRM for its achievements in 2022. The Excel Award recognizes the significant contributions, strategic initiatives, and operational activities undertaken by state councils and chapters to elevate the human resources profession. SHRM President and CEO Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., commended Central Iowa SHRM for its dedication and impact on the world of work. He said the Platinum Excel Award acknowledges Central Iowa SHRM's exceptional human resources leadership and exemplifies the organization's commitment to creating great workplaces. The Excel Award comprises four levels, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum, each with specific requirements and accomplishments, and for further details about Central Iowa SHRM and its initiative, you can visit their website. Elsewhere from the June 1st business record, report says that modest decreases in architectural billings. Architectural firms reported a modest decrease in April billings, the American Institute of Architects reported. However, there was a slight increase in inquiries into future project activities, the group reported. The billing score for March decreased to 48.5 in April, that's down from 50.4 in March. Any score below 50 indicates a decrease in firm billings. However, firms reported that inquiries into new projects accelerated slightly to 53.9, while most firms continued to report a decline in the value of new design contracts with a score of 49.8. AIA Iowa Executive Director Jessica Reinhardt said in this statement, despite April numbers in the Midwest that show an increase in architectural billings at 51.2 points, design activity across the nation is at a decline, which reflects the growing concern of clients in the current economic outlook. Quarter 1 AIA Iowa Market Survey reported that most of the work being done in the first quarter was K-12 education with the most predicted growth in publicly funded projects. Despite the recent softness in billings, many firms are cautiously optimistic about this year. As the construction market cools, construction costs and schedules are expected to ease 
which may make some projects more feasible. In addition, firms will continue to be able to capitalize on opportunities related to green building and energy efficiency initiatives that have increased over the past few years. Missouri Company buys undeveloped land in Altoona. This is a story written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Equipmentshare.com Incorporated, located in Columbia, Missouri, paid I-80 Business Park LLC slightly more than $1 million for undeveloped property on a property near Altoona located around 1995 21st Street Northwest. The undeveloped lots are adjacent to each other in a light industrial area west of Hubble Avenue. Equipment Share was started in 2014 by brothers Jabak and Willie Schlacks. The company rents and sells construction equipment to contractors, repairs and services the equipment, and offers digital support to the construction industry. In 2022, the company opened 32 branch locations, expanding its footprint to 150 locations, according to a news release. In other real estate news, Threshold Capital, located in West Des Moines, paid the estate of Mildred Lucille Webb $2.1 million for property at 8630 Northeast 72nd Street, which is north of Bondurant. The 78-acre parcel includes farm ground, a single-family house built in 1900, and several agriculture-related buildings. That transaction was recorded May 22nd. Other real estate news? Uh, 4-5 LLC, located in Des Moines, paid NJC Properties $360,000 for undeveloped lots at 2425 and 2501 McKinley Avenue in Des Moines. The parcels are north of the Des Moines International Airport. That transaction was recorded on May 23rd. 1311 Industrial LLC, located in West Des Moines, paid Elkhart Properties LLC $4 million for property at 1311 Northwest Laurel Street in in Elkhart. The property includes 24 warehouse condominiums located in an 1,800-square-foot metal structure that was built in 2022. The transaction was recorded May 23rd. Heard Fuller LLC, managed by real estate developer Richard Heard, paid the Kendall Reed Revocable Trust $1.5 million for property at 1611 Fuller Road in West Des Moines. The 1.1-acre parcel includes a 6,270-square-foot warehouse built in 2017. The property is valued at $865,000. And finally, in real estate news, Provision Properties, located in Clive, paid Ankeny 8 LLC $1.47 million for property at 1114 and 1202 Southeast Belmont Drive in Ankeny. The property at Southeast Belmont property includes a three-story apartment building with 12 units. The property is valued at $940,000. The property at 1202 Southeast Belmont includes a two-story apartment building with eight units. The property is valued at $640,000. Both structures include brick brick exteriors and were built in 1970. Nominations are open for the 40 women to watch in the hospitality sector. The Iowa Restaurant Association is accepting nominations for its fifth annual 40 Women to Watch in Hospitality Award. 
The award recognizes women in Iowa's hospitality industry for their creativity, leadership, and contributions. Previous honorees have included frontline workers, executives, entrepreneurs, and tourism professionals, and nominations can be made online at the Iowa Restaurant Association website, and they will be accepted until 5 o'clock on August 1st. West Des Moines Chamber announces its Leadership Academy graduates. The West Des Moines Chamber of Commerce Leadership Academy has completed its educational journey, the Chamber announced. The Chamber produced a yearbook that showcases the graduates' memorable experiences, featuring highlights such as the most likely to quiz and their words of wisdom. Uh, one can see the list of graduates by uh, on the West Des Moines Chamber website under View the Yearbook. Hubble Realty's sixth extreme build will benefit On With Life. On With Life is a nationally recognized brain injury, stroke, and neural rehabilitation program will be the beneficiary this fall of Hubble Extreme Build, an intense week-long construction project that benefits individuals and groups. Extreme Build is sponsored by Hubble Realty Company. The West Des Moines-based company began the program in 2006 when it helped rebuild a family's house after a fire. The company has since had four other extreme builds, including in 2021, when a child development center was built for Easter Seals, Iowa. Hubble Realty's sixth extreme build will include the construction of two 3,800-square-foot family homes that will provide housing for families reside in while loved ones are in On With Life recovery and rehabilitation programs. The family homes will each have five suites that will include a bedroom, bathroom, storage, and mini kitchenette. Both family homes will have a shared family room with a business center, a full kitchen, and a dining area. On With Life, with campuses in Ankeny, Glenwood, Coralville, and Des Moines, serves an estimated 1,000 individuals annually through programs that specialize in helping people recover who have had brain injuries and strokes, The family homes will be built on the Ankeny campus. The road to recovery from a brain injury is difficult, and the support of family and loved ones is a critical piece of the process, said Jean Shelton, who is the CEO of Amoth Life. She added, adding additional family housing will provide families who travel to Ankeny a place to stay and the ability to support their loved ones through every stage of the recovery and rehabilitation The homes are estimated to be built in less than one week in September and cost an estimated $2 million. A construction schedule is currently being developed. Safe and Thriving Youth Initiative aims to reduce youth violence in central Iowa. A community-led coalition convened by United Way of Central Iowa has initiated the Safe and Thriving Youth Initiative to address youth violence in central Iowa. The coalition aims to develop a comprehensive plan for sustainable prevention while addressing the immediate needs of at-risk youth. Jacqueline Easley, a member of the Initiative Steering Committee, said, This is a critical undertaking for our community. As Central Iowa continues to grow, addressing this issue becomes increasingly important. We face significant challenges that will only become more difficult if we delay. Funding from United Way of Central Iowa, Med-Health, Med-Iowa Health Foundation, and the Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines will support short-term efforts. The initiative will focus on expanding summer employment and activity opportunities for youth 
and coordinating mentoring programs, the coalition seeks to engage local experts, secure additional funding, and promote community involvement in the endeavor. Elsewhere from the June 1st business record, Salmon's Financial Group donates $50,000 to buy degrees through the Legacy Project. Salmon's Financial Group and the principal charity Classic have chosen the Buy Degrees Foundation as the recipient of donations raised through the Legacy Project for 2023. The Legacy Project aims to allow sponsors and patrons of the principal charity Classic to designate a portion of their contributions to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that strengthen the community in the long term. The By Degrees Foundation, renowned for its success in increasing high school graduation and post-secondary readiness rates in inner-city schools, will be supported by this year's Legacy Project. To help expand its programs, Salmon's Financial Group initiated this year's project with a $50,000 donation. By Degrees has achieved remarkable results as demonstrated by North High School, where 67% of all students participated in future-focused programming during the 2021-22 school year, and 72% of the class of 2022 had post-secondary plans. Ken McCollum, board chair for the Principal Charity Charity Classic, commended Salmon's Financial Group for its commitment to supporting organizations that address racial disparity and inequities. Civility program to focus on local campaigns. This is an article written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. As work continues to elevate civility and local governance, those efforts are expanding to the campaign process before officials are elected to public office. The Robert D. and Billy Ray Center at Drake University is hosting a program from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday. Um, of la- I'm sorry, this was last week they hosted this program. It's part of Drake's Center for Public Democracy and is in partnership with the Greater Des Moines Partnership, the Iowa League of Cities, and the Taxpayers Association of Iowa. Scott Raker, executive director of the Ray Center, said the program will be, to his knowledge, the first time anyone has tackled civility from the campaign side. This is an attempt coming out of the Taxpayers Association of Iowa's event last February what were some further engagements, and one of the thoughts was maybe we could have a discussion around civility with those who are elected and seeking office or those who are new and seeking office around campaigning, Raker said. A panel of speakers will include Johnston Mayor Paula Deerenfield, West Des Moines Mayor Russ Trimble, and Windsor Heights City Councilman Joseph Jones. Robert Palmer, General Counsel and Director of Government Affairs for the Iowa League of Cities, will moderate the discussion. There will also be a question and answer period followed by the sharing of what Raker said are tools and strategies candidates can consider as they're beginning their campaigns. Raker said the thought was to do one of those early because while there are some announced candidates, papers aren't filed for everyone. The purpose is to ask what does civility in campaigning look like, Raker said. He continued, If you look at the big picture, not only in our governance and in public service, how can we enhance that? What would it look like if we could be a place where people could run for office without uncivil campaigns? Where people want to run for office because there are positive and proactive campaigns about who people are and what they want to do to serve and enhance the community, rather than tearing down, demeaning, 
in misrepresentation. You have to find a place to start, and the place to start is probably with candidates and talk to them. Raker said running a civil campaign doesn't mean candidates don't point out contrast between themselves and their opponents. He said, but that's different from tearing down, demeaning, misrepresenting, and attacking things that when people get elected and go into govern, it's hard to be in that type of campaign and all of a sudden sit at the council table and set all that stuff aside. If civility can be elevated into campaigns, it could increase the chances of elected officials governing in a more civil manner, Raker said. Seeking more civility in a campaign trail and in local governance could also reduce voter apathy. Culture change takes time and it's hard, Raker said. I believe the local level is the best starting point. We have much greater opportunity for impact starting at the local level. He said if the effort were successful in central Iowa, it could be a model for other parts of the state and the country to emulate to bring more civility to local government. If we can have that impact, then there would be hopefully some natural growth there, said Raker, who served in the Iowa House of Representatives for 14 years. He acknowledged that there are hurdles that need to be cleared. Campaigning is a big business, he said. There are a lot of forces at play and a lot of financials at play, and part of the mindset is moving from win-at-all-cost mentality, in some cases, to I'm going to present who I am and what I want to do, and I'm going to run my campaign with civility and respect and let the voters decide. Raker said he thinks people are hungry for positive, proactive campaigns that lead to good governance. He said there is a cultural change happening, but as that happens, people need to understand civility isn't just about being nice and kind. It's important to acknowledge that campaigns are hard-hitting and are about hard issues, tough discussions, differences of opinion, Raker said. Real civility is how do we have the hard and difficult conversations? How do we disagree without being disagreeable? How can we see a different pathway for our community than somebody else, but both still love our community and want to see it advance at the end of the day? When we talk about civility, it's not just the decorum, respect, and decency, but it's also the depth of how do you have contrasting decisions and opinions and perspectives and come together for the greater good. And again, this was written by Michael Crum, who's a senior staff writer at the Business Record. The Iowa Economic Development Authority approves innovation funding for four Iowa startup companies. Uh, They announced their innovation funding for those four startups through Iowa State's Small Business Credit Initiative. The innovation fund is one of four areas established under the SSBCI program. It increases funding opportunities across Iowa's innovation continuum to assist entrepreneurs through concept launch and expansion. These companies receive funding. First, Ames-based Distinct Incorporated was awarded a $250,000 Innovation Acceleration Launch Fund loan for key personnel and product refinement. Distinct provides a remote monitoring system that deploys reliable internet connectivity to rural areas and sensors that collect critical barn data to support precision livestock farming. Haber Technologies Incorporated was awarded a $250,000 Innovation Acceleration Launch Fund loan for key personnel and market planning and entry activities. Headquartered in Ames, the company develops products through its ag automations platform to help farmers dry, store, and manage grain. Pitchley Incorporated, based in Des Moines, it's Pitchley Incorporated, based in Des Moines, was awarded a $1 million Innovation Acceleration Expansion Fund loan 
for key personnel and product refinement. Pitchley is a global provider of software as a service applicant, offering customers the ability to access, search, edit, and share data to fellow employees and connect the data to common work tasks. And finally, Swine Tech, based in Solon, was awarded a $250,000 Innovation Acceleration Launch Fund loan for key personnel, product refinement, and market planning and entry activities. The company offers software and services for pork producers to improve operational efficiencies, employer engagement, and pig care. Award recommendations for the SS, uh, SSBCI Innovation Funding are made by the review committee to the Iowa Economic Department of Authority Executive Director for approval. Up next now from the business record is their column called On the Move, and this is announcing promotions and changes in appointments of people in the business community. First up, Michael Holwinski, Denman and Company LLP. He's been hired as the in-charge senior accountant. Next, Stephen Tracy of Graham Construction Company has been promoted to project manager. Kristen Arnold of Oak Ridge Neighborhood has been hired as their vice president for planning and strategy. Renee Ingebrigtsen has been promoted to Assistant Vice President Financial Systems at F&G Company. Marianne Rosenbaum, also of F&G, has been hired as their Vice President for Human Resources and Business Partners. Mark Oschel, also of F&G, has been hired as the Vice President for Strategic Risk Management. Sean Bowers of F&G, hired as the Lead Investment Accounting Advisor. Another one from FNG is Alex Voloshun. He's been hired as the uh, National Account Manager and Own distri- Distribution. Kinnick McFarland of FNG has been hired as the new Business Customer Contact Representative. Also from FNG, Michelle Compton, hired as the new Business Customer Service Contract Representative, too. Jenny Doris has been hired as a New Business Customer Contact Representative 1, that's also at FNG. Alex Paven from FNG has been hired as their security engineer. Dan Stocker from FNG hired as a new business coordinator 1. Frank Nobile of FNG has been hired as their internal wholesaler in life sales. Logan Randolph, also from FNG, hired as the internal wholesaler life sales. Raquel Moore. F&G, hired as the internal wholesaler in life sales. Keelan Song of F&G, hired as a senior data analyst, actuary integration and modernization. Megan Moore of F&G, hired as claims customer contact representative. Taylor Bureau of F&G, hired as the life new business specialist one. Yulia Bartavia of F&G, hired as a senior underwriting consultant. Brian Martinez from F&G, hired as actuarial technician and model governance. Todd Cruz of F&G, hired as a senior business system analyst. Afreen Zia of F&G, hired as a senior software engineer. Janavi Banla of F&G, hired as a senior systems administrator. Jack Lido of F&G, hired as the director of I and as director of IT solutions. Chrissy Basu of F&G, hired as the Director for IT Planning and Strategy. Mandy Massa of F&G, hired as the Business Process Analyst. Sherry Majakik, I'm sorry, Majakik, I believe, of F&G, promoted the Project Analyst Continuous Improvement. 
Lindsay Inman from F&G promoted to Key Account Specialist 1. Johnny Bender of F&G promoted to Team Lead of Key Accounts. Lee Ashcroft of F&G promoted to Supervisor Annuity Operations. Curtis Eccles of F&G promoted to National Accounts Manager and Own Distribution. Heather Agan of F&G promoted to Team Lead Key Accounts. Jacob Prine of F&G promoted to Manager Client Technology Services. Alyssa Johnson of Hubble Realty Company has been hired as their Human Resource Specialist. Emily Curran of Indigo Living promoted to Senior Leasing Consultant. Drew McGrath of Hubble Homes has been promoted to Senior Assistant Residential Construction Superintendent. Sam Escherich of Hubble Homes promoted to Senior Assistant Residential Construction Superintendent. Chris Stanling of Hubble Homes promoted to Senior Assistant Residential Construction Superintendent. Alyssa Johnson at Hubble Realty hired as a Human Resource Specialist. And I think that's it for this week's uh, On the Move for the Business Record. Okay, next up on this week's uh, June 1st edition of Business Record, a closer look. This will be a story of uh, Mitzi Bolanus anderson and this story is written by Emily Ketzel of the Business Record. If there were a contest of how many miles someone has moved to take a job in Des Moines, Mitzi Bolanus Anderson would surely come close to earning the top prize. Before coming to Des Moines, Bolanus Anderson worked 3,500 miles away in Anchorage, Alaska as the director of the Anchorage Equal Rights Commission, where her expertise was in enforcing anti-discrimination laws. She started her position as the city's human rights director in May 2021 and leads a six-person team. Business Record recently caught up with her to discuss her thoughts on the position over a year in, what she likes about Des Moines, and what changes still need to occur in the realm of equity, justice, and inclusion. Uh, Her responses to the questions have been edited and condensed for clarity. First question the Business Record posed to her was, as I'm sure anyone here in Iowa would ask you, why in the world would you come from Alaska to Des Moines? And she responded, we came for this position. I was really excited about the opportunity for a commission here to really make change and impact policy. A lot of commissions, they don't have that, that they're just complaint-taking enforcement agencies. People get into this work because we care, but then you're stuck in an agency that is so limited in what you can do. I knew coming in that there was more leeway to do advocacy, but I don't think I realized how much we can really do here. Personally, we wanted to be closer to family. Our family isn't in Iowa, but we're a lot closer to them than we were in Alaska. She said, I don't know, I didn't know anything about Iowa, but doing some research, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool things there. And there have been some pretty cool advancements in civil rights at least a while ago. And again, uh, this is questions posed by the business record to Mitzi Bolanis Anderson, uh, who took a position. Um, here in Des Moines, the city's human rights director back in May of 2021. The second question the business record posed to her, what does your day-to-day look like? Anderson replied, we take complaints of discrimination. Folks will give us a call, walk in or fill out a form online and say, I was fired from my job and I think it was because of my race or my disability, or I was evicted because of my race or national origin or religion, class, sexual orientation, gender, identity. We'll work with them to first make sure it's jurisdictional. The complaints have to be within the housing, employment, public accommodation, credit categories, and be based on a protected class. 
We'll work with them to draft a complaint if all those jurisdictional elements are met. And then we'll start their investigation. That includes all sorts of interviews, talking to witnesses, talking to the parties, asking for documents. Ideally, for unemployment cases, the process should take 200 to 240 days. The Department of Housing and Urban Development likes housing cases to be done within 100 days. We're working towards meeting those deadlines. The commission wasn't taking complaints for a while while we were going through some staff transitions. I feel like now we finally have our feet under us. Next question from the business record. How many cases are usually happening in a given year? Anderson replies, usually it should be 70 to 80. Because we weren't taking complaints for a long time and we're referring them out, our inventory right now is pretty low. I think we're probably at about 30 or so, but we expect that to pick up as we do more outreach and let folks know we are taking cases again. Next question for Anderson. You mentioned that in Alaska, your role was more on the enforcement side, and in Des Moines, there's more of an advocacy role. What does that look like? Anderson's reply, every year, commissioners meet with city council members in a public meeting and give recommendations for policy changes. We spent the last year speaking with the public, holding community conversations, trying to be that intermediary between the public and the council. We're finalizing our recommendations. We're going to have six or seven this year. Next question. The Iowa legislature has drawn scrutiny this session about advancing bills that are deemed as hateful or non-inclusive. What sort of effect does that does what's happening at the state house have on your own feeling toward your work? Anderson said, personally, I am that much more fired up. We're also city government. We have these parameters that I have to work within. There's only so much that we can do, unfortunately, but there's still things that you can do. It can be really frustrating and limiting, but I also believe in baby steps. And I think that every step that you take, even if you end up getting knocked back several more steps, it matters and it's going to build to something. Next question. What's an experience that you've had that shaped how you operate in your role today? Her reply, there are two big ones. I was in AmeriCorps Vista when I first got to Alaska. I took a year off from law and worked with an Alaska Native group called First Alaskans Institute. That was the first time, which was embarrassing to say, I realized how history is not taught. I learned so much about indigenous peoples in this country and the boarding schools they were sent to. Why didn't I know that? I'm an educated person. I went to law school. That's another privilege because I didn't need to know it because I didn't experience it. I didn't live it. I didn't see the effects of it. That was the first real turning point for me where I was like, oh my God, I don't know enough. I need to know more and then I should do something about it. Something else that really stuck with me personally was when I went to a workshop about anti-blackness in the Latin community several years ago. The workshop facilitator told me that I should not, should not classify myself as Latin because I was taking opportunities away from brown people. She basically said, you don't get to be the voice for Latin people because you haven't had that experience. You navigate the world as a white person, so it's not fair. It's made me more conscious. Before, I was like, 100%, I'm a woman of color. And now I'm like, wait, maybe I'm not. Maybe I need to pass the mic to someone who experienced this differently. Is there someone else who has a brown experience or more immigrant experience? But if there's no one there, I'm definitely going to do what I can to stand up. Next question. What work have you done the last year in position that you're proud of? 
her response, we draft a language access policy and plan with our refugee and immigrant advocacy strategic task force. The intent is that any sort of enforcement-based communication from the city of Des Moines that goes out and is going to have some kind of consequence or is important, we want to make sure that folks are understanding what is happening. So we're making sure that those things are available in multiple languages. That's now going through the approval process. Growing up, I spoke Spanish at home. I lived with my grandparents and my parents, and my parents spoke English, but my grandparents didn't. I remember going with my grandmother everywhere and being the interpreter, so that's really special to me. Working through our aged case backlog is also something I'm proud of. We've been able to process our oldest cases from 2018 to 2020, and we're now working through the 2021 and newer cases. Still a backlog, but certainly progress. Our core mandate is an is is as an impartial investigative agency, so getting investigations up to speed has been a primary focus of mine. We also did our community conversation series over the summers. Those were great. Next question for Anderson. What were some of the themes that have come up during the community conversations? Her reply, access to safe, accessible, and affordable housing was definitely a big one. Also, policing was a big one in terms of racial profiling, pretextual stops. The Community Review Board has come up quite a bit, and that's something the commissioners are looking at. What work still needs to be done here in the city to advance equity and justice and inclusion? What are some of the gaps that remain? Government policies got us to the current housing situation that is not equitable, whether it was intentionally segregating communities, redlining, all sorts of different policies and decisions. I think it's going to take government policies to undo those things, whether that's through down payment assistance programs, first-time home ownership programs. There are some things that might not be that hard to do. We can maybe move the needle here a little bit. And Business Record then followed that up with this question, what would those be? Anderson said, I'm a big fan of home ownership assistance programs. I think those can make a really big difference. But I also recognize that not everyone wants to own a home, so maybe there's some kind of rental policy. You know what's coming out that I'm really excited about? Richard Rothstein wrote the book, Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. He goes through a whole host of government exclusionary policies that basically got us to the inequity, inequity that we have today. It makes you question, how have I benefited from these things? Even though I come from a family of immigrants, why have we been able to get to where we are and others haven't? I look like a white person. I get to navigate the world in that way. He and his daughter, Leah Rothstein, are coming off the sequel in June called Just Action, How to Challenge Segregation Enacted Under Color of the Law. It's supposed to be solutions-oriented. I feel like that needs to be studied everywhere. Everyone needs to read it. Next question, in your eyes, what has Des Moines done well? She said, we flew the pride flag for Transgender Day of Remembrance back in the fall. I think that's a big deal, letting people know we see you and you are a part of this community. We are here and we love you. They also flew the flag in June for Pride Month. They're little things, symbolic things. It's not necessarily something concrete like a policy, but I do think that visuals are meaningful and important. Next question. Are there any sort of initiatives that you're working on that people should be aware of? How can people interact with you and your work? 
She replied, commission meetings all have public comments. We always want to hear from the public, especially if there's a group, organization, or individual who is working on something that we can support them on, that we can connect them to resources on. All of our commissioners are really well connected. How can we elevate you? How can we support you? Share that with us. And that doesn't mean that we're going to get everything uh, that we ask for, but the more information that we can share and that we can get in front of the right people, the more we can do. And I think that's a big part of our role. The Business Record recently published a series on the role that businesses play in creating a sense of inclusion and belonging. What is the city's role in fostering an inclusive community? The city is an employer too. When I was accepting this position, it mattered to me that they had an equity office. It mattered to me that they had parental leave policy. If I didn't see that, this was a place that was trying, I may not have accepted the position. Of course, everyone can do better, but I think they've shown they're committed to DEI. One other cool thing that we're a part of is our LGBTQ Advisory Council. It's working on all city documents to make the gender selections more inclusive. Several documents have already been updated, but there's more to be done. Not every city government will be like, come update our forms and make them super gender inclusive. Business Record asked her, what's one thing that you're really enjoying right now? She said, I just finished Alaska Daily. It's a show on ABC that focuses on missing and murdered indigenous women. It's about a reporter at the Alaska Daily and how they go about these investigations because the state was not doing enough. They were also able to just shine a light on it. This is an issue not just in Alaska. It's an issue everywhere. And final question they asked uh, Anderson was, what's your favorite thing about Des Moines? Her response most people that we meet are from here or from somewhere in Iowa and have moved here. I feel in a lot of places it's very hard for an outsider to break into the friend group. The families at Ridge's school have been super welcoming. They invited us over for holidays. I recognize that that might not be everyone's experience, but I feel really lucky that it's been our experience. I also really love our neighbors. They've been super helpful for us not having family here and with two little ones. They've been generally awesome, helpful, and welcoming. I'm grateful for the community accepting me as an out, as kind of an outsider. This is really personal and intimate work in a lot of ways, and coming in from outside can feel kind of invasive. So I'm grateful that people have wanted me to succeed. And then a little background in Anderson. Her hometown is Miami, Florida. Her education, she majored in international studies in Spanish minored in business law and foreign languages at the University of Miami, law school at the Florida at Florida International, legal master's degree in animal law at Lewis and Clark. Her family, uh, Ridge, age three, Jude, three months, husband, Locke, and they have two dogs in her hobbies, being outside and letting her kids uh, play in the dirt. Uh, this story is written by Emily Kestel. She's the fearless editor for the Business Record, and she covers women's issues as well as other human interest stories. Partnership announces registration for DEI Management Certification Program. The Greater Des Moines Partnership has announced that registration is now open for the next cohort of its DEI, and that stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Management Certificate Program. In partnership with Des Moines-based Shable Solutions Incorporated, the program aims to help participants build and sustain successful diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in the workforce, workplace, and marketplace. The program will run every other Tuesday from August 29th to November 7th with each workshop taking place from 9 a.m. to noon. 
The program aligns with Shable's solutions goal of normalizing inclusive behaviors, operationalizing equity, and building the necessary skills, confidence, and plans for inclusive, collaborative, innovative, and productive work environments, according to Claudia Shable, who's the founder and president and CEO of Shable Solutions. Seats for the program are limited and reserved for those interested in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion within their organizations. Individuals and organizations offering diversity, equity, and inclusion-related consulting and training services to external customers are not eligible to participate without approval from the Greater Des Moines Partnership and Shable Solutions. Interested individuals must register by August 21st to learn more about the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Management Certification Program or to sign up as a participant. Uh, one can visit the partnership's website. The co-founder of Craigie Newell Advertising has died. The co-founder of Craigie Newell Advertising passed away on May 17th, according to an obituary in the Des Moines Register. John Jack Highland Craigie Jr. founded the company with Liz Newell in 1977. The couple would have celebrated their 46th wedding anniversary on May 21st, according to the obituary. The couple's advertising agency was headquartered at the Butler Mansion, the iconic white concrete building at 2633 Fleur Drive that overlooks Gray's Lake. Craigie graduated from Drake University in 1965. He and his wife made a 150000 gift to Drake that was used to create the Craigie Newell Interactive Media Lab for journalism students. Craigie Newell Advertising, which became which became part of the Integer Group in the 1990s, was sold to Omnicom in 2000, according to the obituary. Principal Mentor Guides South African Businesswoman and Global Women's Mentorship Partnership. This is an article written by Nicole Grunmeyer. Linda Nyambzi named her business Incel Capital Partners after a voracious omnivore with a unique adaptation. Insulae means honey badger in Nimbazazi's native language. A honey badger is a tenacious and determined little animal, quite ferocious and small, but the honey badger also has a symbiotic relationship with the honey guide bird. A honey guide bird helps the honey badger to track the beehive and the honey badger cracks it open. So the honey bird feeds on the honey and the honey badger on the insects. So it's a good mutually beneficial relationship. And that's how I like to see my relationship with my clients Nyambazi said. Nyambazi, whose dedicated fixed income brokerage business is based in Johannesburg, South Africa, spent 10 days in Des Moines in May as part of another mutually beneficial relationship, a mentorship with Amy Friedrich, who's the president of U.S. Insurance Solutions at Principal Financial Group. Nyambazi and Friedrich were paired in the 2023 Fortune U.S. Department of State Global Women's Mentoring Partnership which is overseen by the nonprofit Vital Voices Global Partnership. The program, in its 18th year, pairs leading American women executives from within the Fortune Most Powerful Women's Network with emerging women in business from Egypt, Guatemala, Haiti, India, Kenya, Laos, Poland, Serbia, South Africa, Turkey, and Zambia, according to the State Department. The embassy spent time in Friedrich's home and tried some Des Moines restaurants, one of her favorites was Proudfoot and Bird, where she had the most delicious octopus. For a landlocked city, I was pleasantly surprised, the embassy said. The business record interviewed Nembassy and Friedrich separately about their experiences and this 
Q&A has been condensed and lightly edited for length and clarity. What is your mentor-mentee relationship with Amy Friedrich like? The embassy said, There's strong communication between the two of us, and I think that the ability to communicate with the mentor, you get the most out of it. It's been very open. We've managed in a very short space of time to establish a level of trust, honesty between the two of us, so we're able to talk about just about anything and everything. It's also gone beyond just mentoring in the workplace. I've had the opportunity to see Amy operate in her own home with her kids, her husband, her family, as well as with her parents. So I've seen different aspects of Amy. Amy, the powerhouse business leader. I've seen Amy, the mom. I've seen Amy, the wife. I've seen Amy, the daughter, which is quite a privileged position to see your mentor in. Next question, the business record posed. What is the most valuable lesson or advice that Amy has given you that you will take back to South Africa? The embassy said she's very intuitive, so she's been able to pick up a lot of things about me that I had not overtly said, so I found that was quite interesting. It made me able to open up to her a lot more. She's so dynamic. She's a good strategist. It comes across in all that she says, a great communicator. So she's actively engaged with all that she does, be it with her peers in business, people reporting to her. So for me, watching that, being fully present in what you do is quite important. And also, she's not running her own business, but she's head of a big business unit within principle. So the leadership skills and business skills that she has been able to impart on me, I will definitely be able to take away. She's just given me food for thought on a lot of things from someone who has a global lens, a broader lens, teaching me to think wider and broader in terms of my own business, not just focusing on what I'm currently doing now, but having a growth mindset to do my business. Next question for Embassy. Any advice that you would give to a woman entering that mentor-mentee relationship? Her response, go into it with an open mind. Be open to share your experiences, good or bad. You're there to learn, so be open to criticism because that's also learning. Be able to share of yourself. No one knows you more than you know yourself, so put yourself out there. The comfort zone is only as comfortable as far as you're willing to grow. So it's quite important to step out of your comfort zone. A lot of growth happens out of your comfort zone. I think that's quite good to articulate your needs very clearly because that's where the most outcomes come from. Your mentor is clear about what you need and they can work with you towards achieving those goals. Be open, actively engage your mentor and foster a relationship of trust and mutual respect. I think that goes a long way. Plan to build long-lasting relationships. Lean on your mentor, be respectful of their time because a lot of mentors are quite busy. The appreciation of someone's time is very important, so use it wisely. Be a sponge, soak everything up, and not be afraid to be vulnerable because this is a space where you can get the most out of it. Now they posed a question to uh, Friedrich, and that first question is, what unique gifts or talents does Lydia the Embassy possess? Friedrich says, I would call her quietly fierce. She is very aware of the times where she could have entered into a situation and only felt different financial services in general, it can be a different experience when you're young and female. We talked about feeling these past experiences where you know you really could lean into just feeling sort of different all the time. She had the additional dimension of being young, black, female, and being from a black minority setting uh, setting for a lot of the companies that she first worked with. We really ended up talking to each other a lot about what it meant to lean into what we were going to learn, how we're going to learn it, and how we're going to build ourselves and grow even in places where we felt a little bit different headed into the door. 
So I see her as fiercely intelligent, fiercely looking for creating something that's going to have both meaning for her and make her feel like a success in the field that she chooses. She's fantastically interesting. She speaks six languages. She would never bring that up. She's deeply affiliated with her family and her culture, but she knows more about things going on in the U.S., you know, in a global stage. I would say honestly, as I'm coming out of this, my knowledge of South Africa is exponentially better and my knowledge culturally of where, for example, a cultural affiliation to Zulu ancestry is very meaningful. I'd put very little thought, very little research, very little understanding about what having an ancestral relationship to Shaku Zulu, the founder of South Africa's Zulu Empire, who lived from approximately 1787 to 1828 would mean to someone who lives in modern-day South Africa. So I selfishly found that fantastic. It was feeding every sort of nerd history part of me that was there. They also asked Friedrich this question. What general advice would you have for anyone entering into a mentor-mentee relationship? Number one, I would say assume you're both going to learn a lot. I don't like mentor-mentee relationships that assume there's sort of a one-way transaction happening that you have to sort of permissively open the door backwards to a two-way transaction. That's not how it works at all. So my assumption is going to be I'm as honest and authentic about the pieces where I'm not as informed about something, and then I make the effort to actually ask. I make an assumption that both parties have things they want to learn from each other, that they have hopes and expectations, and they made that really clear to one another. I also assume that no one is putting on a show, meaning they're not just showing them the good pieces, you're showing them the tired pieces. You're showing them the frustrated frustrated pieces. You're showing them the authentic pieces of yourself because I think that really begins to speak to what kind of culture you value. And this was a story written by Nicole Grunmeider uh, with the business record. One of the things that the business record does is have a feature on Pillars of Philanthropy looking at nonprofit organizations in Des Moines. So today we'll take a look at uh, one of those organizations called Above and Beyond Cancer. Its mission is elevating the lives of those touched by cancer to create a healthier world. Key services that Above and Beyond Cancer provides includes offering weekly mind-body-spirit programs such as yoga, tai chi, indoor cycling, cancer education series, urban pole walking, etc., that help cancer survivors and caregivers live lives of passion and compassion. We also offer a book club, bike club, as well as cooking and nutrition classes. The key audience is served by Above and Beyond, Above and Beyond Cancer. We serve all survivors who have been diagnosed with cancer, no matter what kind of cancer, where they are in their cancer journey. We serve all the caregivers who help and support the cancer survivors. Uh, ways to give to Above and Beyond Cancer through their website. Also, they have an Elevate Festival that's held on uh, in October, and they have an annual Celebrate event that's in November. And you can also volunteer and do that by contacting the website Above and Beyond Cancer, or you can give an estate gift to Above and Beyond Cancer. What are the most immediate needs to support Above and Beyond Cancer? Well, they offer all the weekly optimal living programs to cancer survivors and caregivers free of charge. Uh, As mentioned, some of those include yoga, total training, meditation, tai chi, indoor cycling, uh, urban pole walking, recovery, and beyond. The scientific results illustrate that all who regularly participate have significantly improved their health condition 
This position of improved health decreases the chances of an original cancer diagnosis or cancer reoccurrence. The cost of these invaluable and impactful programs is completely covered by philanthropic gifts. The board of directors of uh, Above and Beyond Cancer include David Benson, Vicki Bott, Lindy Buckingham Shutt, Chuck uh, Cutler, uh, Diane Cutler, uh, Rob Dana, Dana uh, Dr. Richard Deming, Kelly Donato Phillips, Rick Exline, Rachel Fife, uh, Cheryl Harding, Nick Henderson, Jason Herring, Becky Mumi, Morgan Numa, Dr. Andy Nish of the John Stoddard Cancer Center, Brooks Reynolds, Dr. Yogi Shah, Greg Shireman, Phil Stover, Dr. Christy Taylor of the McFarland Clinic, and Michael Zimmerman of Rip Roar Events. And we'll conclude this reading, uh, this week's reading of the business record by looking at one of the events coming up in the Business Records Fearless Events series. Uh, this event will be coming up Thursday, June 22nd at noon. It's entitled Fearless Focus, Confidence, How to Empower Women, Ourselves, and Women We Know to Succeed in Work and Life. This will be held at noon on June 22nd. Due to systemic and individual barriers, women may be on a continuous journey to improving their confidence. Confidence can come in many forms, body image, self-esteem, willingness to step outside our comfort zones, and they all affect one another. Confidence plays a role in whether we dive into challenges or sit them out, whether we negotiate our salaries, and whether we stand up against inequity. In this conversation, our speakers will talk about how we can empower ourselves or women we know in finding confidence in ourselves as we work toward professional and personal goals. You'll leave this uh, noon meeting feeling energized with a better understanding of why confidence can at times be hard and with strategies to inspire us to find ourselves worthy and in turn help others see that they are enough too. Panelists for this event on June 22nd will be Bridget Cravens-Neely. She's the CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Central Iowa. Jennifer Carruthers, who's the owner and creative producer of E of Eleven Productions. Angie Chaplin, she's the founder and owner of Mindful Leadership. And Abby Ryland, she's a senior associate with Jones Lang LaSalle Brokerage. Incorporated and again. This is on June 22nd. You can register for this on the business record website. And that concludes our reading of the business record for this week, June 1st, 2023. A uh, number of interesting stories we read about this week, and we'll do it again next week. So, again, thank you for joining us. This has been Pat Steele, and look forward to uh, doing this again next week. Have a good week.